0: Hello and welcome to the Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the S, Brie James.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to the PacMag Parents Podcast. Brie James here with you. And on this episode, we are chatting about raising adolescents in new age anxiety Because with negative media headlines daily and the constant reminders of economic and environmental crises, anxiety for adolescents has become more intense than ever. Now, luckily, our guest today has created ways parents can help their adolescents navigate this age of anxiety. So please welcome psychoanalyst, parent guidance expert and author, Erica Commissar. Let's get her on Zoom. It's time to get to class. So tell me, what prompted you to write this amazing book?
0: Well, I mean, a number of things. The most important thing is that um, there is this epidemic of anxiety and depression diagnoses and treatment of very, very young children through adolescence um, around the world. And I really wanted to address it in a comprehensive way, I wrote my first book about the first critical window of brain development in terms of social emotional development. And I really wanted to write a book about the second critical window, which is adolescence, which is nine to 25, just to give parents hope that there is something that they can do to help their children to regulate their emotions and, um, and that it's not hopeless.
1: Sounds like a fabulous book, um, definitely one on my list to read. Um, I love the title. Um, I guess it's a clear reference to that childhood classic uh, tale of the chicken little, the sky's falling. Um, why do you think we have such a prevalence of anxiety and mental health disorders in teens? Because it, it is like it's definitely, I don't know whether it's just because there's more awareness of it now uh, through social media and we're just becoming more aware. But I don't remember you know, myself as a teen ever, you know, obviously you, you suffered a little bit, but nowhere near, I think, that what is happening in these this day and age.
0: Well, I mean, I think that under normal circumstances and in my generation, I'm almost 60, so when I was growing up, there wasn't um, nearly as much stimulation, there wasn't as much pressure, there wasn't as much competition. I mean, the intensity of the pressure that we are putting on our kids today, uh, including social media pressure, is actually a pressure on kids um, to uh, perform, to look a certain way. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's much more intense than it was when I was growing up. But under normal circumstances, adolescence is a very stressful time. I mean, you have puberty, you have identity formation, um, you have fitting in socially, uh, you have finding your place in the adult world. These are all pressures under normal circumstances. You add the intensity of the pressures that that our adolescents are facing. um, And it's, it's a perfect storm. That combined with the fact that I am seeing Um, a lot of adolescents with attachment disorders. And that means that something didn't go quite right in the early years that laid down the foundation for them. So they were more susceptible, more fragile when it came to the pressures that they're facing. Um, You know, as a society, we are busier, more distracted, um, just not as present for our kids. Um, And I think that that combined with all of this pressure, that fragility that they're going into adolescence with combined with all of this pressure is a perfect storm.
1: I know our podcast is about, you know, um, your book and things like that, but I'd love you to talk a little bit more to uh, what you just mentioned then about the attachment side of things, that that's a big issue. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so to, to really be able to withstand adversity and to withstand stress. We have to have a really secure foundation of emotional security. So think of it like a house. You wouldn't build a house without a really solid foundation. Um, and you know we have that that in that story, that children's fable of the three little pigs. You know the house that was built of bricks withstands the adversity. The house that was built of straw does not. Um, and I think that we are we are really. Uh, it's what I call adult children. It's a funny word, it's my word. We are treating children, very young children, uh, like they are older children. We are um, projecting onto them that they can withstand much more stress than they actually can. That means we are separating from them too early, we are putting them into group care, institutional care settings, too early. Um, We are not really understanding um, as a society that those first three years, children don't need group settings. What they need is their go-to person who they rely on for their security as their foundation um, to come back to when they're in distress. That is something that there's tremendous misunderstanding about in society. That then, if you're there um, from moment to moment to soothe their distress, it lays down that foundation of security so they can withstand more stress going forward. And what we're finding is that because everyone is so overwhelmed, parents, you know, it's not easy for parents today. A lot of parents rely on two incomes. I have tremendous empathy for parents. Parents. They don't live near their families. People move away from their families. There's not even extended family support to, to, to families today. They're really isolated in a way and trying to raise children without support. And so then they rely on things like daycare and institutional care so they can go to work. But we've really, uh, there's a misunderstanding about what lays down the foundation of emotional security.
1: It's such a great topic and one I hope we can get you back on the show to dive a bit deeper into. Um, We're going to hop back into children's health and well-being, which is a nice segue for what you're saying there, because what role do parents play in regards to their health and well-being? Obviously, a huge role.
0: Well, parents are the emotional regulators for children and adolescents. So what I say is zero to three. If you miss that window, you have another opportunity from nine to twenty five, because the brain is doing this reorganizing in adolescence. It is um, it's reorganizing and it's pruning off a lot of the um, the neuron growth, a lot of the cell growth that happened in childhood. it's pruning it. and that's very important. So, and parents have a lot of influence over the, their children's, Emotional regulation and resilience to stress in these years, they can they have another opportunity to build in that emotional security. Once your children go off to college and once they leave home, it gets much harder. And also at 25, the brain kind of synthesizes and it's it's sort of finished. The right brain has finished its growth. And so um, it's it's really important that parents understand that what they do, what they say, how present they are both emotionally and physically, and the book is very concrete, like it really tells parents uh, what you can actually do when your children are emotionally dysregulated, what you can do to help build that emotional security, but parents are critical because the environment is critical and parents are the environment.
1: Wow, I um, I, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. It's a really, um, it is tough on parents. I think you, we are more distracted than ever, and um, that, I guess, hundred percent focus on our children, even for short amounts of time, makes such a difference.
0: Yeah, I mean, so people ask me all the time about quality versus quantity time with adolescents, and what I tell them is that although quality time is an important thing, without a quantity of quality time, it doesn't exactly work as a formula. Um, And the reason is that adolescents have very intense defenses. And that means that they're not going to open up to you all the time. They're only going to open up to you when they're ready to open up to you. And I, I use an analogy in the in the book of when the door opens, and I mean that literally and figuratively, when the door, their door, and their defenses are dropped down for the moment, when the door opens and you're there, they're open. They're open to talking about their day, about their relationships, about their experiences, about their worries and concerns. But if you're not there and the door closes, you have to wait until the door opens again. So in other words, if you work really hard and you come home and it's seven o'clock at night and you knock on their door and you say, hi, how was your day? They're going to say, fine. You're not going to get anything out of them. Um, the times that you get connection to them are when they're open to connection. So it's sort of a a crapshoot. You have to be there when the door opens. The other times that I tell parents that they are more likely to be able to connect with with their adolescent children are at transition points. And what that means is first thing in the morning before they go to sleep at night, meaning if parents hang out with their kids late at night after they've done their homework. I mean, most parents are asleep by 10 or 11 when their adolescents are up until one or two in the morning. And so parents miss that opportunity. So if you can get yourself to stay up later and watch a movie with your kids until one in the morning, or there's something that adolescents experience called sleep wake phase delay. Most parents don't know about it. Most educators don't know about it, which is that they produce melatonin in adolescence at a later time in the evening. And that means that they don't get tired until after 11 or 12 o'clock, sometimes not till one o'clock. And so parents think that teenagers stay up late and it's a discipline issue and it's not. It's actually a biological phenomenon. Um, So I've been running around America trying to tell educators and schools and school systems, start later in the morning so teenagers can get more sleep. If you wanna reduce depression and anxiety, that is one thing you can do that is very concrete. But for parents, when are you gonna have an opportunity to relate to them if you work really hard is between 11 and one. Probably when you're asleep, but that's when that's when they're watching movies, and they're open to talking about their day. Yep.
1: That's Eleven it. till one a.m. Wow, that's incredible. Yep. My boys aren't quite there yet, but I, I can feel yep. it coming. So it was sleep yep. phase. What was what was it sleep, called?
0: Again? Sleep sleep wake phase delay. Sleep wake phase delay. And it basically means that you produce melatonin later in the evening. And guess what? As you get older, as I'm 57 years old, as you get older, you start to produce melatonin earlier. (laughs) So like, I want to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. I want to be asleep by 930. But when you're in adolescence between 9 to 25, you actually don't, don't feel sleep pressure until later in the evening. And that means if they go to bed at one, at one in the morning or two in the morning, they have to get up at 6.30 in the morning to go to high school or secondary school. They're only getting five hours of sleep and that's going to over in a chronic way contribute to anxiety and depression. So if schools just started at 10 o'clock in the morning, we our anxiety and depression in adolescents would drop dramatically.
1: Wow, that's a really great insight. Hopefully, um, educators and schools start listening a little bit more to that sort of advice. So, obviously, mental health disorders such as depression, ADHD, behavioral issues, addiction, um, anxiety, as you were saying, how can we spot the early warning signs um, with this? Because obviously, it is becoming more prevalent. And I do agree with you. I do think quality sleep and quality time. deeply connecting to others and deeply connecting with themselves and having that disconnection from uh, so much technology will help as well. But tell me about the early warning signs that we should be looking out for.
0: So in the book, there's actually a chapter on each um, mental health issue you might. So think of the book as a comprehensive mental health guide for parents. So each chapter is on a different mental health issue. And there's one chapter on anxiety and depression. There's another chapter on eating disorders. There's another chapter on video and technology addictions. There's another chapter on learning issues. There's another chapter. So each chapter is on a different mental health issue you might encounter as a parent, um, which is good because if if you seem to worry about one issue, you can pull the book off the shelf and look at that chapter. So in each chapter is a list of things that you need to look for, um, the idea is that any adolescent is going to have, any adult, is going to have a bad day, a bad few days, even a bad week, right? So you might have things circumstantially that have contributed to your depression or your worries, you know, uh, when kids are taking exams or tests or, or writing papers or something happened with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Or, Um, So we don't look at a bad day. We don't look at a a depressed day or an anxious day uh, or even an anxious few days. What we look for is chronicity, the length of time that they experience a set of symptoms and the intensity of those symptoms, meaning how many of those symptoms and how intense those symptoms are. So if more than five symptoms are seen by a parent, for a two-week period of time. Then I say to parents, the sooner you go get help for your adolescent, the better, because the earlier we get to these issues, the easier they are to treat. And parents are, you know, with the best of intentions. Parents, it's hard for parents to see their child suffering. And so there's a lot of denial in parents. about saying, well, they'll be fine and they'll get over it. And, you know, it's just a phase and, and it's just puberty. And, but if these symptoms last for more than two weeks, I encourage parents to deeply look at their own feelings so they don't prevent getting help early on for their, for their kids. Um, you know, again, the earlier we get to anxiety and depression, the more treatable it is.
1: And it is much easier to treat things when when they're children rather than adults. I mean, um, you know, if you're listening now, I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, baggage adults listening. (laughs) Wouldn't life have been better if uh, our parents had have helped us sort it out when we were younger? That's right. That's right. Um, So how can parents help their children develop resilience then? Uh, Because obviously, you know, there is a lot to navigate being a teenager. And I think, you know, that's probably one of the things that sometimes I see in my children, I'm like, why aren't you so, resi-? you know, you're not as resilient as you should be. Um, and it's a really key thing that they need to learn is that resilience. So how can we help as parents develop that resilience muscle so They're a little bit stronger.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you something that feels um, maybe like a contradiction, but is not at all a contradiction. I sort of call it a paradox, which is, the more sensitive you are to your children's emotions, the more you uh, are a sensitive empathic nurture, meaning tuning into their feelings and take their feelings very seriously, um, the more resilient they become, meaning insensitivity or pull your, we say in in English, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, that kind of stoic attitude The parents say, that's how you build resilience. That is not how you build resilience. You actually build resilience by recognizing, acknowledging, and understanding your children's feelings. Now, here's the paradox, is that you actually have to let children feel frustration. You have to let them feel some distress. You have to let them experience things in their own way, even if it means that they fail or that they're rejected and be there to help them to process those feelings. So parents today are very much into trying to prevent their children from feeling pain. Um, And that's cultural too, right? In modern culture, We have pills for every pain that ails us, right? We're not supposed to feel any pain at all. We go to the dentist, we have Novocaine. We have babies, we have epidurals. We we feel depressed one minute, the psychiatrist gives us a Prozac to stop the pain. No one wants to understand or examine themselves, right, today, so it's all of this, no one should feel any pain. We have to feel some frustration. We have to experience rejection. We have to experience some failure in life, to build resilience. It's those calluses that help us to, to really deal with adversity in the future. That doesn't mean you have to expose them to it. Naturally life exposes it to them. Naturally in, in school, they're not going to get the lead in the school play or they're not going to get all A's or um, they're not gonna get picked for a science project or. What, whatever frustrations that, or the boy that they like doesn't like them back um, we can't protect them from all pain but we can be there to help them uh, to deal with the pain you know uh, and and so that's a parent's role is processing feelings it is not to protect them from all pain if you try to protect them from all pain it's like trying to sanitize someone's immune system right you'd say that resilience, to adversity is like our immune system, which everybody's talking about the immune system now, right, with COVID. We can't have an immune system if we're not exposed to any germs at all, right? So so think of it like your psychic immune system. We have to be exposed to some frustration, some pain to develop resilience, but we don't want to um, go out of our way to create painful situations because life is painful and we do want to be there as parents to help them to process their feelings.
1: It's a really beautiful message. And really, uh, I love the point where you said a lot of people don't like diving into the pain and, you know, in re- working out how they can look at it and actually leverage it to improve their life. We, we sometimes like to sit at that surface because it's uh, a bit easier and nicer there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can give you a very concrete example because I like concrete examples. You know, if your, your child comes home, your adolescent comes home and says, you know, I'm really not that great at baseball. I'm on the team, but I'm really not that great. And, you know, I'm not one of the better players. And it's such a bummer. You know, parents initial instinct is to say, oh, honey, you're wonderful. You're one of the best ones on the team it's not listening to your child. If your child is saying, actually, the coach is not picking me and I'm really not one of the better players, then the idea is not to say to them, you're great. You're the best. And it's also not to say to them, you suck, but is to say to them, I hear that you're frustrated and that must be really hard. Tell me more about it. And be a good listener. Be a better listener than you are an advisor because you know, the expression is God gave us two ears and one mouth, we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. But in this case, it's about listening to their pain, acknowledging their pain, that must be really hard to feel that way. You're not there to cheer them up. Cheering someone up when they're in pain, actually makes them feel more in pain. If you go to a friend as an adult, and you say, you know, I'm really unhappy at work. And your friend says, oh, don't worry, it'll get better. You just feel completely alone. But if they say, that must be really hard, tell me about it. Then you feel better, then you feel understood.
1: Great advice. Any last parting words for us today?
0: Be as present physically and emotionally as you can for your adolescents. They need you more than they seem to need you because they seem to not need you. And that's the trick because they have to seem to not need you because they're trying to separate from you, but they actually need you desperately to help them to regulate their emotions. Not the same way as when they were little, but very much they need you to regulate their emotions.
1: I love it. Grab the book, uh, Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling. Um, you can get it online and from all good bookshops. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Great topic. Thank you for having me. Um, looking forward to having you on the show again. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info This podcast is proudly produced by PACMAG. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.